All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of The Big Questions with Big John. I'm your host, Big John, and today uh, we're happy to welcome on a man who is running for office in the state of California, uh, and he's running in the 6th Congressional District. Uh, He is also uh, someone who has uh, been a small business owner. He is a veteran elected official. And he has more than 30 years of experience in California politics. So this dude knows what he's talking about when you talk to him about California politics. He's, he's no babe in the woods. Uh, he was elected to the Robles School District in 2005, and he has served uh, there since then. And he served as president for over 10 years of that board. Uh, as I mentioned, he's running for Congress, 6th Congressional District in California. The primary for that uh, is scheduled for March 5th. And he is running as a member of the Republican Party. He is also the co-host of a podcast called The Rundown uh, with Mike Piawarski. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, But close enough. Okay, that's good. uh, Having a difficult Greek name myself, I I allow some latitude. So I understand that. Certainly, everyone, please say hello to Mr. Craig Deleuze, uh, our guest today. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm I'm hanging in there, and I'm so happy we got the chance to meet and uh, the chance to talk today. So let's start right off. Um, California, from an outsider, I'm I, I'm not a Californian. I've uh, I, I'm also whether I'm not going to say I'm proud to say this, but in fact I've never actually even been to California. I've been to a lot of states, but not California uh, as a native New Yorker and uh, and someone. But from the outside looking in, and from someone from a liberal enclave like New York, for me to say this, I think it must be bad. People have this perception of California, even if you're a Democrat, people have this perception that California is sort of slowly losing its grip on reality. It's the current political uh, climate there, some of the some of the results that we're seeing. Um, So let me ask you this. Why would someone you seem like a reasonable man? You don't seem like you're Looney Tunes or anything. Why would anyone get into California politics, willingly, I might add, uh, enthusiastically. Uh, so, so why are you running for office? You know, I'll tell you, and, and California has always been my home. I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area in Richmond, California. Uh, very, very liberal area, liberal enclave. Uh, went to school in Chico, California, which outside of the college is much, much more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll tell you, and here's what I've seen. Most people in California are, are are reasonable people. When we start talking about things like common sense, they're the ones who are exercising and really know and understand common sense. The problem is, is they generally tend not to be the people who are involved in our governance process. Uh, it's largely tends to be controlled by Democrats. When I say controlled by Democrats, it's even gone beyond the traditional Democrat. And now you have the, for lack of a better term, the 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 Marxist leftist progressives now seem to be running the California legislature and, and running many of the big cities. Most of the decisions that you're seeing, most of the politics, most of the values you're seeing in the state government are actually reflected, are a reflection of a handful of very big cities. The San Francisco Bay Area, uh, San Diego, parts of large parts of San Diego, the city of San Diego and the and Los Angeles. Much of the state of California actually happens to be very reasonable. In -hmm. fact, I I tell folks this, there are more Republicans in California than there are in any other state in the country. Now, the problem is, is that there also then happen to be twice as many Democrats in California. (laughs) And of those Democrats, a huge percentage of them, at least the ones who are active, once again, are part of the out-of-control progressive left. Um, For a long time, California really was a, a purple state, uh, sometimes purple leaning right, a red, sometimes purple leaning blue, uh, but really is governed really towards the middle. This is the state uh, that passed Proposition 13, which is a, a landmark uh, property tax uh, initiative, uh, protecting landowners or property owners from excessive property taxes. It's passed Megan's Law, which uh, really cracked down on, uh, on sexual offenders. Uh, it passed... Uh, uh, a, a number of different, uh, uh, rejected a number of different tax increases. I mean, not, in terms of criminal justice, it passed uh, three strikes. I mean, you name it, law after law and instance after instance, there's instances of, of uh, people voting center-right. 
Now, the problem is, is that the way in which the districts have been drawn by the California legislature uh, and by, by our redistricting commissions, between that and a combination of many, many common sense Californians uh, basically leaving the state because it just became it became very difficult for them to realize the American dream here. And that's folks on the right, right and the left. Uh, we're starting to see California, uh, well, head towards a cliff. And when I say a cliff, I mean a cliff towards from common sense to common nonsense. Uh, we have become the petri dish and the the of of, ex, of social and economic right. ex experimentation for the entire country. And I can tell you uh, right now, it's not working. And that's the reason why I've decided to step up and run for Congress. I mean, I, I've been happy. I've been on a school board for, uh, for, for 18 years. Uh, I've been able to work with Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, we focus on what's best for kids, not right versus left. Right, uh, right. Most of the decisions we make aren't even right versus left. They're right versus wrong. And what we're seeing now uh, that's ha been happening in the California legislature is starting to bleed into Congress. And we're we're seeing leaders from California on both sides of that ideological aisle. Uh, I'm thinking that it's time that uh, that someone who's who's used to governing, governing uh, with folks on both sides of the aisle, but represents the common sense values that I think most Californians have. I think it's time for for that sort of voice to be represented in Congress. And, and, you know, I, it, it's funny because when I hear you, uh, you come across as very reasonable. You know, you're not spouting, uh, you're running as a Republican, as we mentioned. Um, even given uh, that Republicans in states like California and New York, whether you want to call them Rockefeller Republicans or, or Schwarzenegger Republicans or whatever, you know, I think in the general perception, uh, Republicans from, say, New York and California specifically might be viewed as not like your uber conservative Republicans, but mainly centrist Republicans, if I can use a general term. But even that seems to be missing at this stage, right? So, the, so that to the point that I think many Republicans within those two states, and let's focus on California specifically, to me come off not necessarily as being conservative, although to your statement, many of the people in these states do have that common sense, right? Like, I don't know anyone who says, I want violent criminals on my streets. I don't want my DA to enforce the laws, right? And I, I doubt there's many people that would, if you put the question directly to them, would say, I vote for no bail. I vote for non-enforcement of of." a large swath of everyday nuisance crimes. Say, um, you know, you get the people on the fringes, obviously, who would be like, oh, I'm pro-drug legalization or whatever the case may be. We can debate those. But I think once the law is broken, I don't think people are like, let's 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 flood the streets. Uh, the homelessness situations you hear about in California. Uh, literally, um, and I'm not on some anti-liberal, you know, bandwagon necessarily, but to your point, it sounds crazy to me. Um, that that this is allowed to happen. So my question to you would be is, you're starting out, uh, I'm assuming your campaign is pretty much um, a grassroots effort, correct me if I'm wrong. And um, so even the headwinds of entering the Republican primary, for someone as yourself who is seasoned in politics, speak to me as someone who is not seasoned in the political process, how does someone say, I'm going to make a change? Like, you clearly have the conviction. You clearly have the experience. Um, how does one say, when you put it in your head, I'm assuming um, after you've discussed it with your family, your friends, your advisors, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run uh, to try to clean up politics, whether it's on the federal or the local level. How does how does one go? How do you fund yourself? What what's What's a day in your life like at this point? Are you getting support? Like, I, I've always had this thing in my head. Hey, if I'm a good uh, conservative or I'm a good liberal or I'm a good libertarian or Green Party, whatever, hey, the party will recognize that I'm someone that should be elected and they'll help me get elected, right? They'll get me organized. They'll give me money or whatever. Is that the case or or not? Well, you know, I'll tell you what, what I've learned is, is that uh, politics is kind of like high stakes poker. You can be the best poker player in the world, but if you don't have the stake to stay in the game, you're not going to be very successful. 
that's one of the reasons why for so long uh, I decided not to run for higher office because I knew I knew how that would work. Being being on a local school board, it was relatively easy. I could I could print together low cost flyers and I could walk and knock on doors and basically through shoe leather uh, work to build enough support in order to stay elected to the school board. Uh, and, and so running for higher office is a little bit different. It's a little bit different in that it's a little difficult to knock on every single high propensity voter in, in this district. I mean, it's right. it's relatively large, both geographically as well as uh, as well as uh, uh, in, uh, population. population. Uh, it's a relatively large district. The thing that you have to look at is multiple phase. Number one, you have to re- you have to look and say, do you have a profiles that that uh, that says that you understand the district? Uh, the way the district is drawn, and it was just redrawn the last uh, before the last election cycle. I'm sorry, it's a blue district, this, right? I'm sorry, it's a blue district. I didn't mean to interrupt. It is. It's a purple. It's actually a purple district. Purple, meaning okay. that, uh, for example, Dem plus seven, meaning uh, it is the most competitive. Uh, district in California that is not a target. Okay. That gives you an idea. So it means uh, they're, they're basically uh, Dem, Dems outnumber Republicans by 7% uh, in terms of numbers. Now, there's a huge decline to state or independent vote within this district. Uh, it's a district that has a number of areas that are, uh, that are, are, that tend to lean conservative and the most liberal portions of the district uh, which largely are within the city of Sacramento, I'm an elected representative within that area. I mean, the area in which I'm a school district is about 50, 60% Democrat, yet I continue to get reelected every year. A lot of my political relationships, a lot of my business relationships are within the more liberal portion of the district. And so I think uh, that adds to the profile. Once again, having been an elected school board member in a district that uh, has been fiscally strong and solvent my entire time on the board. You know, in California, uh, we have to have we have uh, we measure our budgets. Right. And one of the things you want is you want to have a positive budget, which says that your budget doesn't just balance this year, but it balances next year and the year after my entire time on the board. We've always had positive budgets. We went through eight years of declining enrollment. And in California, our our funding is based on our enrollment. We went through the seven years of economic downturn, yet and still, we've never had to lay off a teacher because of because of budget situations. Uh, we just got through uh, in the midst of where everyone else is trying to scramble on infrastructure. We just got through rebuilding seventy five percent of our schools. Every single one of our students is in a twenty first century classroom. And that's, by the way, done by governing according to my values, which happen to be Republican values. Uh, and, and so having that profile, having been successful at the local level, being involved, I work with groups like California Black Media, the Sacramento Observer, which is uh, one of the oldest black newspapers west, on the West Coast, which is located here in Sacramento. By the way, just one, uh, just one black best news, best black newspaper in the nation. Uh, just to give you an example of the crossover uh, that I that 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 I, that I be, that I'm able to have, and that's on top of being a successful business owner. That's on top of working with conservative-based organizations on issues that are important to folks. Um, so the first thing is you have to realize: Do you have a profile? The next thing that you have to look at is: Do you have a base from which you can uh, raise enough money to be successful? Now. Uh, the 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 gentleman that I would be running against, and, and should I make it to the to the general, uh, he is uh, the head of the DCCC, which means he's not going to be he's not going to have a shortage of money. Uh, but then again, I also realize it's not about me having more money than him; it's about having a plan and the resources to implement that plan. Um, the consultant that I brought on board is not someone who's part of the Republican establishment. He's someone who has demonstrated an understanding of how to get people elected in in uh, what I say non-traditional Republican areas. He got a former Republican elected to the Sacramento City Council. He's gotten he's gotten Republicans elected uh, to to the school board within the city of Sacramento. Um, he's demonstrated through through micro targeting and specific messaging, not so much about trying to change people's minds on issues, but identifying identifying individuals, not just Republicans, but Democrats and independents who already agree with us on the issues, they just right. don't know it yet. 
and then being effective in communicating on those issues. And, and you know, the real benefit we have right now is it's not even about being conservative. And I, I'm as conservative as they come. I always say I am a card-carrying member of the vast right-wing conspiracy. For those right. of you <laughs> old enough to remember that quote. Yes, of course. Um, but, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm part of the Republican wing of the Republican Party in California. Uh, but having said that, we're not even talking about conservative versus liberal. We're talking about common sense versus common nonsense. I mean, common sense says uh, we need to have a secure southern border and entities like the state of California that have sanctuary status are going to suffer the brunt of those of people coming across our southern border. Uh, uh, coming coming across our southern border, we're the ones that are going to wind up having to put out the resources in order to take on all of these all of these uh, new residents, uh, illegal and legal. Uh, common sense says that we need to make sure that our law enforcement have the resources that they need in order to in order to you know enforce the law. Right. And, you know, common sense says that biological males shouldn't be competing against girls in high school sports, right? right. Common right. sense says that we should be protecting our children from indoctrination, whether it be critical race theory, DEI, whether it be, uh, whether it be sexualizing them. And that's, you know, that, that leads to my, my final point. Like a lot of people are talking about book bans. Well, common sense says that we should not be allowing books that include pornography in our public schools. And when I talk to voters about that, it really doesn't matter their political party. They agree because it's common sense. Right. So here's the question that I have. Even within your own party, in this primary, you, I believe you have two declared opponents so far. Is that correct? Two declared opponents so far. Yeah. Um, how do you differentiate from those two? You said your common sense. And I agree with you. Like, And for full disclosure, I'm not a Republican. Um, I, I'm a libertarian, so you and I will have overlap on a lot of issues, right? Where we agree, like Second Amendment issues, probably freedom of speech issues, and things of that nature. We're probably closely aligned, but within your own party, your common sense. Why is that a distinguishing factor? Not with the Democrats, which I fully understand. You might have a huge, you know, uh, uh, your Democratic opponent, the incumbent, but among your own party. Why would why do you display common sense, but perhaps your opponents don't? Well, I don't think it's so much that they don't. I mean, truth is, is that we probably agree on most issues. The difference is, is that uh, I have a history of actually being effective in in governing according to those values. As a school board member, I also spent almost a decade working as a staff member within the with uh, within the California state legislature. Uh, the two members that I worked with, former Senator, uh, California Senator Tim Leslie and Kevin Jeffries, passed an average of 10 bills every legislative session. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about a California legislature where currently, I mean, it's two thirds, two thirds Democrat. I mean, they have a super majority in both houses of the legislature. How were we able to do that? It's by identifying opportunities building relationships, and then identifying places where we could get some wins. Now, imagine being able to have that same sort of success as a majority in the House of Representatives. Um, I, like I said, I, I'm not looking to work with people who disagree with me, looking for people who agree with me. And when it comes to in the legislative process, I just need you to agree with me on this issue, right? right. The other thing is, is the effectiveness of being able to communicate those values. The Republican Party has been horrible at communication, right? Mm -hmm. We are very, very bad at telling people who don't traditionally vote Republican why they should vote Republican. Give me an and example would, of that. That's an interesting well, point. Like, I'll, how, I'll give you an well, how would you, yeah. With every product, there's a feature and a benefit. Feature is what's good about it. A benefit is what that means to the end user, right? For a car, mm -hmm. it might mean that it goes from zero to 60 in, you know, four seconds, all right? But what does that mean to the end user? To, to a 19-year-old, a it might mean that he can out-drag race his friends. To a, a middle-aged mother of three, it might in a minivan, it might mean that she can get out of the way when they're coming up the street. When we talk about free enterprise, when we talk about, when we talk about uh, 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 safe streets, what does that mean to the various individuals? And it's going to be different based on who you're talking to. The biggest challenge we have as Republicans is 
we don't show up in places that we don't believe are friendly to us. And my point is, that's where I've been governing. That's where I've been working. I understand the communities in that, that where we need to be gaining votes, where we need to be gaining ground. I've been working in those communities. I've been communicating uh, with the leaders and the organizations within those communities. I understand the issues in those areas. And I understand how what we believe as Republicans, uh, how our conservative values uh, can help manifest into policy that can address those issues. Right. So I, I, I'm fascinated by this because like as a libertarian, I've asked several uh, people that have interviewed, like Larry Sharp, for example, here in New York, uh, African-American gentleman. Um, I asked him point blank, are the is the Libertarian Party doing a good job reaching out to minority voters, to African-Americans, to Latinos? And he looked me right in the end. He said, John, we are doing a horrible job of that. We are not reaching those people for whatever reason. We just... We tend to condescend to that particular demographic. Do you feel that the Republican Party is in the same position right now? Or has it been trending in the positive, in your opinion? Uh, meaning that, let's say we took Reagan as a starting point, like the most popular Republican president, say, in my lifetime, right? Um, if we started with Reagan, has messaging to, to minority groups as Repub the Republican Party, has that been getting progressively better, progressively worse? Has it sort of ebbed and flowed? How do you see that? Like, is, are things getting better or are they kind of flatlining in terms of that messaging that you referred to? Um, I, I would say that it's been flatlined. And, and here's the thing. There have always been individuals who have had that as an interest and an effort. The problem is this, is that the people who largely run political parties are the political consultants. And political consultants only see, they can't see past the next election cycle. So any solutions that they want have to all be about, are we going to turn the corner on the next election cycle? The problem is, is that this is not gonna be turned around that quickly. It's not gonna be turned around by, by hiring a college kid and sending him out to the black community to speak to black leaders about why they should become Republicans. It's about building relationships. It's about taking time and it's about showing up. You know, if, you know, if, if I were to bring, if I were to go to my, my, to somebody, to a group of people and I were to tell them, you know, well, you know, Brian, yeah, Brian is, he's a decent, but you know, he's kind of a klepto. You may want to watch your wallet around him. And I spent an entire lifetime telling them that, and then one day I finally got you to come. How do you think they're going to treat you? How do you right. think they're going to respond to you? Right. They're not going to respond very well. They're not going to be very welcoming. They're not going to be very trusting and you're not going to feel very welcome. And you're not going to feel very trusted and you're right. not going to come back. But here's the problem. If you don't come back, then guess what? You never dispel any of those problems. Exactly. When, when I worked in the legislature, I, uh, one of the, the uh, Kevin Jeffries, who was, he was an assembly he was a, a, a freshman when he started. And one of the first things that he did was he went and he had breakfast, lunch, or dinner with, he started with every Democrat freshman and then every Democrat member of the assembly and then every Democrat member of the Senate. And they didn't talk politics. They just got to know each other, right? They just built relationships, right? And then they knew him not as, oh, he's one of those right-wing Republicans, but they knew him as, oh, well, that's Kevin, right? right? So he could, and he knew and understand what was important to them. And so if he had a bill or a bill idea that he needed, to, that he wanted some support on, he knew which members to go to to talk to because it was something that they had expressed an interest in or an issue area that we knew of was of concern to them. See, it's, it, but that's a long-term thing. That's the sort of yes. thing that you have to do over time. That's something that's not going to necessarily bring uh, uh, benefits in the next election cycle. But try to get the party to invest in something like that. Party leadership has never been invested in anything long-term. And that's yeah. sad, but it's just a reality. And unfortunately, like, old, for those of us old enough to remember, this is, what you just said is reminiscent of when Reagan first took office his infamous beers with Tip O'Neill. Like, here's the Speaker of the House, a, a hardcore Democrat, one of these crotchety old guys from the Northeast. Reagan made it a point of having a beer with the guy um, at some tavern in Washington. I forget, you know, it was a famous tavern. And people say, how did a president with no House support, no Senate support for four years push through a radical conservative agenda? 
it was his ability to communicate and communicate outside his party and to be able to build that common, you know, and to be fair to Tip O'Neill, it was a willingness to give a new president a chance, right? How do you see this in today's environment, though? Today's environment is so, it's, it's, it's been said that it's almost a hack phrase at this point, but the political polarization, that you can't get people from the other side to concede that they're not, that each other is not the devil incarnate, let alone people that you can have a relationship with. Is this showmanship in your opinion? Educate me, because I'm fascinated by this. Is it showmanship? Is it actual, we hate the other team? Or, and I, and it's bi-directional. By no means am I pinning this on Republicans or Democrats solely. Like, if I see an AOC, I can't hear a word come out of her mouth without it ending, and the Democrats are out to marginalize and eliminate uh, people of a certain demographic. And if I listen to Republicans, it's like, Everybody on the other side want, is a pedophile that wants to take our children away from us, right? So in that environment, is that just playing to each other's base, like saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm one of you? Or is that the actual sort of feelings that we have towards each other? And I mean, now on a large scale, not you personally, mm. but on a large scale. And then tell me how you get past that when you get elected to Congress. Well, part of that is, is once again, identifying, and I think I'm, for me, part of it is identifying the difference between the progressives and the Democrats. And when I say progressives, I want you, I want you to understand there is a distinct difference. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think back to the progressives of the 1920s, the Woodrow Wilson, uh, uh, Stalin, Soviet Union loving, communist loving, or socialist loving uh, progressives, uh, they are a big chunk of the Democratic Party right now. And, and, I, and that concerns me. It concerns me for this reason, is because those are the individuals who seek bigger government. Those are the individuals who, uh, who want to silence opposition, in particular right now, conservative opposition. Those are the people who want to tear down institutions, right? They're not the, the classic, the, when I say institutions, I mean the family, the church. Uh, uh, law enforcement. They want to tear down the criminal justice system because they are under the belief that uh, once this system is torn down, that somewhere out of it will kind of like a like a phoenix will arise some brand new thing. Now the problem is is that it's never worked. It didn't work for Stalin. It didn't work for Lenin. Didn't work for Mao. Didn't work for uh, Mao Zedong. Yeah, Mao Zedong. Didn't work for uh, Hugo Chavez. Didn't work for uh, uh, Fidel Castro. It's never worked, but somehow they're smart enough to make it work. Anyway, so there's those folks. But it's never been, it's because it's never been done right. They, well, there you go. Because <laughs> we're so much smarter than they are. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the, but the idea is, is first of all, sitting down and identifying the difference between them and the Democrats, who are the, the classic liberals, the one who may, I may disagree with on, on, on a number of different policy issues, but they believe in the institutions. They believe that we can sit down, we can debate. We can talk about the merits. We can look at the facts and perhaps arrive at, arrive at a solution uh, that's best for the American people. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be able to do that on everything. doesn't mean we'll be able to do that with everybody. But I happen to believe that between the classic liberals, the Democrats, and the Republicans, that we are a significant majority. That uh, the, 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 the uh, uh, postmodernist Marxist or modern Marxist, what they call a neo-Marxist, progressives in the Democratic Party yeah, are a small minority. <laughs> right, and I can tell you this, they may not be a small minority within the electeds, but they right. are a small minority when it comes to the voters. So a lot of what we got to do is not just talk to the other electeds, but talk to the voters. And, and, and that's a great point because the, and I think the phrase is postmodern neo-Marxist or something like that, go. right? But, but, but um, I agree with you, but see, I'm, I'm always fascinated by this because it, it's the vocal minority of either side that seems to get all the headlines on the left. It's the super uber Marxist progressives. Like you said, everything is a, is a social construct that needs to be torn down because it was built up by a horrible patriarchy. You know, you've got those guys. Uh, then on the other side, you have the extreme uh, folks on the right that are like America first, everyone else sucks, you know, like uh, nobody gets a chance but white Americans, you know, and there is that. And again, very minor. I'm, I'm not saying that's the Republican Party and I'm not saying the uber Marxists are the Democratic Party, but they're the ones that seem to be pulling the levers right now to some extent. 
Um, well, but that, so, and that, but you and you make my point. So the, the, yeah. problem, the challenge I have is what is seen as extreme. I really think that when you break down and you talk to people who, some of the people who are labeled as quote unquote extremists on the Republican Party, and you start talking with them about what do you believe, and I, and once again I'll go back to the whole. Well, why are these conservatives? Why are they? Why are they banning books? You know, they're they're anti LGBTQ books, right? What they won't tell you is that is that those books, and, I, and I'll give you one example: the book mm-hmm. Gender Queer. It is. According to the American Library Association, it is the most challenged book across the country, right? It's one of the poster child books that they put up every time they start talking about quote unquote book bans. Well, first of all, what what most Republicans will say is nobody's banning it. They're just saying uh, that it shouldn't be in public school libraries, especially available to middle schoolers. But what they're saying is this. It's not because it's LGBTQ. If you go and you look at the book, and I please, I encourage you, anyone watches, go look up the book. It contains images, cartoon images, because it's a graphic novel, of minors engaging in sex and oral sex. Now, maybe it's just me, but I don't think, I mean, let's put it this way. You couldn't have it on your show without YouTube or whoever hosts it pulling it down for indecency. So right. if it can't be on YouTube or it shouldn't be on YouTube, it definitely should not be in public school libraries. Now, I, no, I, I those are considered people who believe that are, are right. people who are, 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 who are trying to restrict those books are extremists, right? They're considered to be extremists. Well, uh, are, what are, are they? they? Are, see, I, I, and, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not right. challenging you because I agree with you, but I would then push back and say, well, what about, I agree with you. Okay. Uh, as long as there's an age of consent, fair enough. Under that age, parents should have that decision, right? And if the parents, mm-hmm. they should exercise more uh, influence over their local school boards. I, I Believe me, I'm one of those guys that says, get rid of public schooling. So uh, I'm with you on that, you know, like the government mm-hmm. getting involved at all. But to the extent that there is that age of consent, I agree with you. But what about, for example, uh, I think it was in Tennessee. I could be wrong on the state. They banned the graphic novel Mouse, M-A-U-S. I don't know if you're familiar with it, which was a graphic novel uh, where rats, mice, are are portrayed as Jews against, uh, you know, living through their Holocaust, right? Now, uh, it was not graphic in the sense of sexual or anything like that, uh, but that was banned for whatever reason. And even more disturbingly, it was banned, uh, I think the school board voted 11-0 to ban it from the library. Not part of a curriculum, but from the library. And I look at that and I'd say, to me, common sense would be, why is that banned, right? It's not sexualized. It's it's talking about a tragedy, a historical tragedy, but it's making it an allegory form for children or for younger readers, I should say, because no second graders reading mouse, right? Um, that to me sounds extreme. I could be wrong, but maybe that's where you're saying like reasonable people can disagree on that, but... Well, and once again, people. and that's part of the challenge is you have to look at every single, you have to look at the details of every incident, right? Right. Of every single case of this, because you'll find oftentimes there are mitigating circumstances. I mean, details matter, right? The devil's yes. in the details. And I'll give an example. One one of the books they, they constantly bring up is there was a poem that was written uh, by Amanda Goff. Uh, Amanda Goff? Anyway, by uh, Amanda Gorman, Amanda Gorman. Uh, and she's the one who gave the red, the, did, she's the poet laureate who did the poet poem at uh, Obama's, I mean, at Biden's inauguration. And they say, oh, well, that book has been banned from a library. Well, uh, from libraries in, oh, I'm sorry, they said from libraries in Florida, public school libraries in Florida. And I, and I, I did just a little bit of research, come to find out wh- what the law allowed them to do is it allowed parents to object to books for various reasons. One parent objected to a book that contained that poem. The committee there at the school reviewed the book. They did not, they did not say that it should be banned. They did not believe in banning it. They were just like, you know, but it's probably more appropriate in the, in the middle school section of this library. This was a K-8 school. So number one, it wasn't banned. Number two, it wasn't removed from the school. It wasn't even removed from the library. It was moved to a section that was more geared towards middle school students. But it's not like elementary school students couldn't go to that section and get the book and still be able to read it, right? 
And then on top of that, it wasn't banned at all Florida schools. And you still, to this day, have people in the mainstream media and the Democratic Party who are saying that the book was, was in fact banned. So you got to look at the details of the situation. I, I would love to be able to tell you that, that the example that you gave is an, is an outrageous example. But without knowing the details, I don't know if it's outrageous or not. Fair, fair, fair enough. I wouldn't expect you to make a decision if you didn't have the facts. So that would be unfair. But um, I just brought it up. But so um, I agree with you on that. But again, is that more of a media thing or is that more of the actual politicians in charge of constructing the policy not being able to speak to each other? I understand the media well, it, is but, what but it is. But I mean, the thing is, it, the thing is, it's both. Because a lot of the misconception and misunderstanding that the average voter has is based on the information they're getting from the media. Many yes. of the people from the media tend to lean on one side. So they get most of their information from one side. The issues about which they decide to report on come from largely one side. And so when you only have one-sided reporting, you don't get the entire story. And that's what we deal with oftentimes. It's almost, I, I work with, as I told you before, I work with uh, California Black Media. I work with a local newspaper here, uh, Sacramento Observer. But I also work with the California Republican Assembly. Uh, I work, do a lot of stuff in conservative media. So I get media from both sides. And I can tell you, there are literally two different stories being written and told about what is going on in America. Yeah, I, I, I am 100% agreement with you um it's just it i don't know it it and again i am so politically ignorant that some of my questions may sound childish to you craig uh because while i love talking about politics from an intellectual or philosophical level like uh when i talk to my partner uh william del pilar who you know as well Mm -hmm. He sometimes just starts laughing at me. He's like, John, you're almost like a like a child when you talk about this stuff, because you don't you don't understand the reality of the political machinations that take place behind the scenes and raising money and who you have to shake hands with and who you have to put up with when you really don't want to or, and things of that nature. Because my question would be like, even if the media is so uh, despicable as to purposely misrepresent facts, not opinions, facts, um, the book the don't say gay bill, for example, right? In Florida, mm -hmm. famously, those words never appeared in the bill, right? But that's the way it was framed by the media to present a particular opinion, right? I understand that piece. The part that I have trouble understanding, and I'm, perhaps I'm being naive, is why wouldn't the folks crafting the bill step up themselves and say, okay, we don't agree with this bill, but it really, there's nothing in here prohibiting gay, con you know, like, or that it's only targeted for up to, uh, you know, what is it, third grade, fourth grade, whatever it is, whatever that bill covered, right? Like, to me, that seems like an honorable thing to do, where both sides can agree to this stuff and say, like, here's the facts. We have different opinions on these facts. Fair enough. But it really is, like, the media's lying. They're, re they're misrepresenting the facts. Whereas now, I think the media, given its mis misrepresentations, is being used as another weapon to beat the other side with, as opposed to Let's set the record straight. Well, and, and I agree. And the problem is, is oftentimes you will find that uh, the people on the left and the, Demo the Democrats who actually do have that level of integrity, uh, keep in mind, they're, they're held together by a caucus, right? They are held account by a caucus. Yes. Uh, Democrats largely get their money from various different special interests, largely uh, labor unions. And, uh, and uh, they, so you had labor unions, you had trial lawyers, uh, you had uh, anti-gun control groups. You have these groups that are out there that give a whole lot of money to Democrats. And if you're a Democrat and you want to get reelected uh, and you have issues that are priorities to you, and maybe these issues aren't your priority, uh, you learn to keep your mouth shut and you vote the way they tell you to vote in order to get the stuff done that you want to get done. Talk about the political realities. That's one of the political realities uh, that you'll see out there. Uh, and it, it, it's sad, but it is true. I, it, it is sad. And, and I know, again, I, th I know I'm being a bit naive by saying like, can't we just talk? Cause like, I remember the days when, for example, I grew up always know, knowing the New York times was a leftist newspaper, even as a child, as a 12 year old, 13 year old getting it for the science times, for example, 
I knew the New York Times was a leftist newspaper. But I, to be honest, I never doubted that what they were reporting as fact was actually fact. I, I disagreed with their conclusions of what those facts mean, right? Now, I'm not so sure. Like, now it's gotten to the point, and I don't know if this is like a purposeful uh, disinformation campaign on some entity's part or not, but I, I, like a lot of times, I just throw up my hands and I say, I don't know what the truth is. So for me to take a position is is irresponsible because I don't know what the facts are anymore, unless I can get them myself personally and validate them. Um, and I think that's the real shame. And I think that's what maybe a lot of Americans are struggling with right now. And they do fall back on trusted figures, hoping that they're, they're still trusted figures, right? Well, what, now, I, what I always encourage you to, what I find myself doing is, is I look at, first of all, I look at what both sides are saying. And I figure if there's stuff that they agree on, that they're both mentioning it, okay, that has a greater likelihood of being true. Right. Now it's a matter of doing my own research. It's a matter of, and why, when I, a lot of times when I talk about issues, when I write about issues, I link to sources, I link to source information. Uh, be, I, and I, and you know, I try to make sure that the information that I have, the opinions that I have are based on facts and data. Mm. Uh, oftentimes the other side doesn't do that. Uh, I, you know, I try not to spout things that I do not know. I tend to admit when I am wrong. Uh, I am I am open to the idea of admitting that I'm wrong, but I'm not just going to admit that I'm wrong just because you are are, are louder uh, and maybe tell uh, better jokes or puns than I do. That's not going to be enough to get me to admit that I that I am incorrect on a policy statement. Um, I, that's a very admirable, by the way. That is a trait that I think is largely missing. And again, I know it's hacked to say on both sides, but like I see it, I see it with a lot of Republicans where. The ability to say I was wrong about something, that admission is seen as weakness instead of, in my opinion, being seen as a positive. Like I admit I was wrong and here's what I'm going to do to make sure I don't get it wrong next time. There seems to be this admission that if I say I'm wrong, it's a victory for the other guys. So I can't say I'm wrong. I'll have to like double down on my BS. I have to double down on my misinformation. Uh, and again, not just Republicans, but I have seen it on both sides where to your point, like, I, I was raised in the scientific er, arena. So for me to say, like, I'm wrong about something means I got data that tells me I was wrong. Right. So, like, if I have to admit I'm wrong or else I'm an idiot, to be quite honest. So or intellectually I'm, I'm, dishonest. It's a intellectually dishonest. So I'm, I'm, when I hear you say I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong and I'm willing to be open to the possibility that I might be wrong if you engage me, but... I'm not going to be bullied just because like you said, you scream louder than I do. Um, so I agree with you. And I find that very admirable. And I think your constituents should, if they hear this, they should take that as a positive to say like, Hey, this is someone who has our uh, concerns top of mind. Like we're concerned about our kids. We're con concerned about our two A rights. We're concerned about crime in the streets but he's willing to understand that there might be some things he doesn't know about yet, or he's willing to learn about. I find that very, very like, like, listen, New York, my district elected George Santos. Why can't anyone admit that this guy lied his way to the top? Like, yes. I mean, the, 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 and I understand I have had this debate with good friends of mine who are Republicans will say, John, if we, if we censor him, if the Republicans censor him, that means it's another Democratic vote. You're giving another vote to the Democrats. And I'm like, but at what cost? What have you retained if you have to retain your vote with a George Santos? I don't know if you want to comment on that specifically because he might be a future colleague of yours. But um, to me, that's that's a pyrrhic victory. Like, so you won, you quote won. But what have you accomplished with that victory? You well, no, I, mean? I, I completely agree. I, I'm a believer... I, if I lie about who I am to get into public office, then I got to lie about who I am to stay in public office. And in the day and age where we are now, where so much information is available electronically, it's hard to get away with lies, right? Uh, well, unless you're Joe Biden, um, I, I digress, you know, you know, top of his law school, top of his law school, you know, we know that anyway. Um, but you know, I, I think that what I appreciate is, is the way in which Republicans are handling it. They're going through a process. There's a process that you go through. 
and uh, he is, and uh, Kevin McCarthy is honoring the process, right? Okay. Everyone deserves due process and he's giving him his due process. Uh, and in the end, what's probably going to wind up happening is he's probably going to wind up getting censured. I do not know if he'll be removed, but in essence, he's not going to be returning to the house of representatives. Uh, this so. we know, uh, but I do think it's incumbent to acknowledge uh, that, that this man has perpetrated significant, numerous falsehoods uh, on his constituents and on the American people and needs to be held to account. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm, 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 uh, I, I rejoice in hearing you say that because you're, again, common sense, you're, you're you know, it's, he's, he, he deserves his, he's not under criminal indictment, but right. so to speak, he deserves his day in court, so to speak, due process. But at the end of the day, it does look mm -hmm. like he did several, uh, uh, frauds or misrepresentations at the least. Um, let me ask you this. You're, you know, when I first started reading up on you and I started talking to my, my uh, friend and partner, William, about you, what comes across about you is, Hey, Craig's a big two a guy. He really believes in the second amendment. He's really a proponent of the second amendment. I have to ask you two a guys in my home state of New York, not necessarily viewed upon as like, you know, they don't put that on their resume, most politicians. Um, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, that might be the case in California. Uh, well, is it a problem for you or no? Well, it's not a problem for me because, as I like to say, I, I spent the last decade as a Second Amendment civil rights advocate. Mm. And I think that's important to understand. I'm big 2A, not because I'm big, I'm, I'm like a, a big, huge gun guy. Uh, you know, I can't afford most of the firearms that I'd like to purchase, but, uh, but, but when I understand, uh, when I, when you un come to understand exactly what the second amendment is about, it is the civil, it is a civil right, right? And it is the civil right that defends all others. We have folks who want us to believe that civil rights mean special privileges for special people, right? If you're the right gender, if you're the right age, if you're the right sexual identity right. or gender orientation or the right religion, well, then you get special protections. That's not what civil rights are. Civil rights are the rights due to each and every one of us, to all people, right? They were so important that we wanted to make sure to enshrine them, to enumerate them in our constitution. By the way, our constitution does not give us those rights. It simply enumerates what uh, the founders believe were God-given rights or inalienable rights. Right. And the reason why I believe so much in the Second Amendment is because it is, it is the redheaded stepchild of all civil rights. It is the one where people are like, it's a right, but you know, it's not a right, right? It is the most misunderstood by both the right and the left. Because so much in terms of technicality, technicalities in law and technicalities in the terminology and the technology is so important. It's like if we can get people interested in understanding the details there, right? right. The important thing, the fundamental right of self-defense, right? If we can get people to understand and come to a, a, an agreement on that, then what can't we get people to come to understand about all of our civil rights, about the importance of free speech, freedom of religion, right to due process? Because what's funny is with the Second Amendment, you see people losing all sorts of rights because of the Second Amendment. Well, you, you can't wear that T-shirt to school. Uh, you can't put that sign in uh, their gun store sign in that location, right? All of these things are all tied to because some people are scared that uh, you might have the fundamental right to be able to defend yourself against all enemies, foreign and domestic, up to and including a tyrannical government. Absolutely. And I think that's a misconception that unfortunately, as I get older and get more gray on my face, unfortunately, that's something I, I, I am so disappointed in the generations that have followed ours, right? Because they seem to think rights are something granted from the government, uh, which is entirely not the American uh, uh, um, ethos around rights. We, we very much are in the tradition of the John Locke <clears throat> model of rights, which is these rights are ours by nature of us being human. They're right. not because the government says so, right? Um, right. Uh, I also take umbrage with some Second Amendment guys, you know, because were you... 
did you defend the right of the Black Panthers? You know, when they were when they wanted to arm themselves. Like, if you're a Second well, Amendment person, the answer is yes. When you consider when you consider that that just about all gun control started with the idea of keeping those people from owning guns. I'll just use California as an example. Right. Uh, in the uh, in the uh, well, nationally, it was the black codes down south uh, were to keep newly freed slaves from being able to own guns. In California in the 1870s, uh, it was to keep Native Americans from being able to purchase guns. In the 1920s, laws were passed to be able to keep Chinese uh, and Mexicans, now we refer to as API and Latinos, uh, from owning guns. Uh, the, uh, the Mulford Act, uh, signed into law by Ronald Reagan, was, was specifically to keep what was largely designed because you had the Black Panther Party, uh, as they were following law enforcement or monitoring law enforcement, were armed. That's what ended open carry, uh, loaded open carry in the state of California. Right. I mean, the roots of gun control are flat out racist. Now, the problem now is, is that all of us who are not part of the liberal elite are now those people, right? right exactly. All the rest of us, all of us common right, folk right. are, are those people. And, you know, going back to just how, how I talk to when I talk to people about the Second Amendment, there's kind of two different, two different things I found that have been most effective. When Donald Trump was president and I heard people talk about, oh, well, Donald Trump this and Donald Trump that, and he's a totalitarian, and he's never going to leave government, yada, yada, yada. And these people were anti-gun. And I said, let me, let me ask something. If everything you say about Donald Trump is true, let's say it's all 100% true, is a Donald Trump government, do you really want a Donald Trump government to be the only ones with firearms? Right. That was, that's one. The other is, you know, when we look at, when we look at crime and what's going on in crime, you know, the, a lot of people don't realize that, the, that to a large part, the group that is most disproportionately affected by crime in our communities, and specifically violent crime, are people of color, right? So in many communities where they have the, where they have the least access to their right to keep and bear arms, they're seeing, they're being, they're being facing more violent crimes oh, sure. than, than, than anyone else. So yeah, shouldn't look, those individuals yeah. who, who, who are in most need of the ability to, to defend themselves, should they not have access to that fundamental right to keep and bear arms, knowing that oftentimes law enforcement are minutes away when seconds matter? I, I agree with you. And, and it's that old refrain, like if you look at the biggest gun control cities, which are also tend to line up as blue cities, they tend to have the highest murder rates, the highest gun violence. You know, look at Chicago, Detroit, uh, New York City at one point. New York is weird, though. They, they're they still a big gun control state, but the gun violence has was decreasing up until recently. So that that's a bit of a contradiction. But in a lot of these other states, clearly gun control did not work. Um, but beyond that, that shouldn't matter in terms of your Second Amendment rights. Uh, so I agree with you 100%. Um, and, and, uh, I always think it's a red herring, you know, when someone says, well, I'm using it for self-defense or I'm using it for hunting. And then you get the other side saying, well, you don't need something that, you know, uh, you don't need, a, a, you know, uh, an AK 47 or, you know, or anything like that. Uh, or, you know, you don't need uh, bump stocks or, you know, my response to that is why even go down that road? Here, here's my answer. Why do you want a gun? I don't need to tell you. I don't need to tell you my desire to, to defend myself or how I'm going to defend myself or, or why I feel the need to defend myself. I, I don't, why? It, like, it's called, need it's to, called the bill of rights, not the bill of needs. Exactly. Or the bill of can eyes, you know, it's right. not, you know, it's like, the, I view it the same way. Do I need your permission to, to, to tell an off color joke? No, it's my right of free speech. It's my right of free thought. So, and but even that now you read the polls and the the younger generations the later generations are saying we should regulate our speech we should not we ought not say things uh, and I'm not even talking about private entities you know like say for example any censorship by Twitter or YouTube right fair enough I, I it it flies in the face of what I think should be their policy but I mean hate speech laws. What they're, I don't what, understand right. those at all. What they're what they're really saying is they're not saying that we should censor speech. 
they're saying we should censor their speech, right? right? They don't want their own speech censored, right? They want someone else's speech censored. You know, rights are dangerous, right? Rights are dangerous because it allows people, uh, it, it says that these are un, inalienable things that you have, that you get to do. And sometimes uh, when people abuse those rights, other people get harmed. But guess what? We have laws that protect people in the event that they do you actual harm. For speech, we have liable, right? We have uh, defamation, right? Uh, in, in, with, with firearms and violence, guess what? We have murder. We have assault, right? It's funny. I always love when people say, well, you know, no, no, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's, that's the one they always use when it comes to guns, trying to say you that can. rights aren't, aren't <laughs> restrict, aren't, uh, aren't right. uh, unlimited. And yeah. I always say, well, no, actually you can, specifically if there's a fire in the theater. But also with that, here's what happens. What we don't do is we don't put gags on everyone's mouth before they walk into the theater in the event that one individual may abuse their right and yell fire. We don't gag everybody before they go into the theater. That's what they want to do with gun laws. They want to restrict everyone's rights because a small minority of individuals may violate, may, may uh, uh, harm others, uh, violate the law uh, by in, in the exercise of that right. But guess what? We have laws. And if we would actually, oh, I don't know, enforce those laws, you know, how about when someone gets, when someone who's not supposed to be in possession of a firearm gets arrested with the firearm, we actually prosecute them for it. How about that? Right? right? Yeah. How yeah. about when someone commits a violent crime, uh, that we actually put them in jail and we keep them in jail for the amount of time that they're supposed to be in jail. How about that? Right. right. But, uh, but, but, but once again, it just, it just goes back to that fundamental idea of once again, this is a right. And whether you want to believe it's a right, whether you like that, it's a right, whether you choose to exercise it yourself really does not matter. I am. We are 100% in agreement, Craig, on, on that one. Um, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think you put that perfectly. All right, um, we're we're coming up uh, towards the end of the thing, so I'll, uh, let me let me switch it up on you a little bit. Give your okay. constituents a little more insight into Craig Deleuze. Uh, it's time for part of the show that I call silly questions. These are off the cuff. I haven't mentioned them to you prior to to sitting down with you. Let's see what you think. Uh, if you could have the career of any U.S. politician in history, past or present, who would it be? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Gipper, uh, hard to think of a one that you could beat with that. Uh, okay, I, I I will tell our folks, Mr. Deleuze is also on IMDb, okay? So in that vein, I'm going to ask him, in your opinion, what is the greatest TV series of all time? God, there are so many, so many good ones. Um, one you're going to be surprised about because it's very, very liberal leaning, but it, to me, is the best written show on television ever, and that would be West Wing. West Wing. Interesting. Okay. You're right. It is very liberal reading, but it was a very well-written show as well. Was that a Sorkin show? I don't remember. It was a Sorkin show. He is a, pheno he is a phenomenal writer. He's a, he's a, he is a phenomenal writer. Doesn't right. Writes Republicans horribly, right? <laughs> but yes. he's a good writer. He makes, he makes Democrats look like moderate Republicans. There you go. There you go. But that's, a, that's an interesting choice, but I think you can defend it. So that, that's cool. And then if you could recast who's on Mount Rushmore today, if you started with a blank Mount Rushmore and could commission which uh, five faces go up there, of anything, who would you put on there? I would probably say the only difference I would probably look at would be I would remove Teddy Roosevelt and I would put Ronald Reagan. Okay, interesting, interesting right there. Craig, it was great talking to you. Please tell the people how they could uh, get a hold of, uh, for the folks in California, especially who would like to vote for you in the upcoming primary, how would they be able to do that? And if folks wanted to follow you uh, otherwise on the internet, give us give us your information. Uh, Craig Deleuze is the key. C-R-A-I-G-D-E-L-U-Z. My website is craigdeleuze.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Craig Deleuze. You can, you can Google me. If you Google Craig Deleuze, uh, all sorts of stuff is going to come up. The work I did with the Fires Policy Coalition, my stuff on the school board, stuff with the California Republican Assembly. Like I said, Craig, just look up Craig Deleuze. That's the key. Okay, and we'll certainly have your social info 
there for folks on the screen. They, they've been seeing it all along. They can, uh, they can certainly contact you there. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversation. And for the folks out there, uh, join us again next time when we have another super interesting guest like Mr. Deleuze join us here on the Big Questions with Big John. Until then, peace out.